Hello, everyone. I'm Shannon Torrance, and welcome to Magic is Real, a podcast focused on proof of afterlife, whose mission is to bring hope and inspiration to others and to spread the word that death is only an illusion. If these interviews resonate with you and you want to hear more like them, you can support the podcast by liking, subscribing, and sharing with like-minded friends. Thank you so much, and thank you for being a part of the Magic is Real family. I wish you peace, light, and love always. Welcome to another episode of Magic is Real. Thank you all so much for being here. I am so excited today to have a conversation with this lovely man, Randy Schieffer, who is a regular human who had a not so regular experience when he died and came back to share the story. Randy, welcome and thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you to Magic is Real for having me on. I'm so, so excited to, to be able to share my story uh, today. Um, or my 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 journey today uh, with, exactly. from uh, COVID and my near death experiences. So yeah, and um, I do want to start by sort of getting to know you, and I'd like to know what your life was like before you had this profound life changing experience, and um, anything you'd like to share about perhaps what were your prior spiritual beliefs mm-hmm. um how how what was your relationship with spirituality and um what was your life like i um uh i grew up i grew up in a uh in uh in pennsylvania but my my family was not very religious um we would i remember going to church as a child and then we moved to uh, south florida and for some reason that stopped I think my parents just didn't feel comfortable with a lot of their churches at that time in the area, and um, they just stopped going. So at a very young age, um, God and the church became a distant figure, you know, and we never prayed, you know, as a family. We never sat around the table and prayed or, you know, looked or mentioned anything from the Bible and it was just something that didn't exist, I guess, is a, is, is a fair word, um, you know, in our family. Um, and my father passed away when I was very young. I was 16 years old, and we were on vacation, and um, he passed away of a heart attack. And <clears throat> my older brother wasn't with us, so suddenly I became, I, I grew up very quickly from a, an innocent 16 year old to taking on tremendous responsibility because I tried to save him. Um, I tried to save him that night and I couldn't. And I wore that guilt and I, and I remember my mother yelling and screaming at me to do something, you know, and damning God for taking her husband. And that is all has been very vivid for me since 1969 when he passed away. And I've lived with that, that guilt. Uh, and, it, and it's only recently, um, again, thanks to my near-death experience, that I've been able to realize that. And that, then that, then that his, but his death, in a way, guided me through my whole life. Um, I became very interested in death. Um, and, but yet 
I was terrified of my own death. I would actually go into panic attacks if I thought about my own demise. I'm talking about stomping my feet, waving my arms, yelling, screaming, but my family never knew it. They never knew because we didn't discuss it. Right. You know, um, and they said so they didn't do that. So I felt a very connection. I wanted to believe, but uh, let me go back to my father here for a second and how he influenced me. I became very much interested in death to the point um, where I be, went into law enforcement and I was uh, in the military for 20 years um, and I went back to school. My bachelor's degree is in psychology, but then I got my master's degree in forensic science and I became a death investigator. And that's what I did for 30 years uh, is oh, investigate wow. homicide, suicide, aggravated assaults. Um, and I was very good at it, uh, to, to pack myself on the back a little bit. Um, and again, it was only until recent when I started really writing my book and having to deal with these feelings and emotions that I, that, and, and some therapy that I had to go to because I, I came out of the hospital, I had PTSD from the ICU because uh, I was in there for so long. And they helped me realize how he has influenced me through my whole life, you know, and my life choices. My wife and I have been married for 49 years. We have three beautiful girls. You'll hear about them as I talk about my near-death experience. Um, I have been blessed by them. I don't know what my wife and I did right that God blessed us with these three girls. They're, they're absolutely amazing. And they're all strong world like dad and they don't give up when something uh, comes up, you know, they pursue, this is, they pursue it. You know what I'm talking about? They, they come and get the answers. They're not gonna just take it at face value. And that's what I did for 30 years being a criminal investigator. And I can tell you different cases and stuff where, I mean, I've, I've, I've developed new investigative techniques in order to solve crimes. Um, I, I, I've been to blood spatter interpretation classes and that was one of my expertises is blood spatter interpretation. So my world developed around physical evidence. Okay, not circumstantial evidence, not testimonial evidence, but physical evidence. Um, I had to have the, the instrument that caused the death. And then I had to place it in somebody's hand, you know, who did a traumatic event, you know. Um, so my whole world developed on physical evidence. And when my girls were growing up, my wife um, was Catholic. And she went to, you know, she wanted to take the girls to Catholic church and, and raise them as Catholic as well. And I agreed. So I actually converted from Lutheran to Catholicism. And we went to, we attended church pretty regularly and they went into uh, Catholic schools. And I felt when I attended church, I was just going through the motions. Uh, there was no connection there. Um, and I always listened. And some of the creeds and things that they would that they would repeat, and I remember one of them distinctly: "In hope of rising again," and that struck me. In hope 
in hope of rising again. So you can't tell me that we are or not. And again, my physical evidence world, hope didn't fit, you know? Yeah. I needed proof. I needed proof. And God gave me that proof in my NDE, my near-death experience. He provided that to me. So my whole spectrum of religion and, and faith, and I had lost faith. I knew I lost faith, completely changed. I'm more spiritual now. I'm very spiritual. Um, I don't feel uh, that I need an organized religion uh, on, a, on a regular basis. Uh, you know, I get my, um, I, I feed my spirituality through readings. And there is one church here in town that, that I have connected with. Um, there's something with his, that pastor, that that man is a very special man and he's got a gift. And I told him that because I felt it in my heart from him. And he and, I, he and I, he is one of the few religious figures that believe me uh, and, and took the time to listen to me and, and help me understand some things that occurred um, during my near-death experience. One of the few. Um, typically, I get the response from religious figures as, Boy, you really went on a trip. Oh, wow! What a you know what a story. You'll have a great story to tell your grandkids and things like that. You know, um, so I don't feel like I need that religious to be spiritual, and and that's where I am right now. I'm very I'm, I'm very spiritualistic, so I, I feed it through my attendance and talking with him and and other figures that I've connected with, um, and uh, yeah. So it's really I've really taken a you know, I guess a 360 through all of this. And I've come back now as, as uh, you know, more spiritual and more religious than I've ever been in my life. And it's made me deeper. I have a much deeper connection with my girls uh, and, and my wife now than, than I ever had before. Yeah, I actually have such an interest in, um, I went to school originally to be a forensic pathologist. Mm. Um, after I saw Silence of the Lambs, I decided that that was something that was interesting to me. And little did I know that really, I just wanted to be Jodie Foster playing <laughs> Clarice. <laughs> I, it's like, I didn't really want to actually, I, I'm too much of an empath to be in that world. But that's why I like to ask people what their, what their background is, because so many people, I feel like their trajectory does, once yeah. you look back on it after a near-death experience, it kind of all comes together and you can see um, these, just these little things that have happened to you that build up. Yeah. to what you experienced. So um, thank you for sharing all of that. And uh, so why don't we talk about what led to your near-death experience? Yeah. Um, you know, we got hit with um, this pandemic. End of 19, beginning of, you know, January 2020. And I remember um, them coming out and warning everybody that, you know, this is a pandemic and it's a terrible disease and stuff. And in my own normal fashion, I made fun of it. Um, I remember, uh, and I, my kids still have the picture. Um, they were talking about masks, you know, and people were getting crazy money for selling masks and things. And I got a brown paper bag and I cut out two holes in a mouth and I, I got a Corona beer 
and uh, I put on the front of it a Corona mask buy online now, you know, and my, my wife took a picture of me holding this Corona beer up, you know, with this paper bag over my head. Little did I know that almost to the day, a month later, that I would be so sick that requ required hospitalization. Um, on March the 23rd is when I first went to my doctor. I had went up to my, my, my daughter, Lisa, and I she owns a rental property uh, about 45 minutes from us. And she asked me to come up and help her do some work around the house. And uh, we went up and, and we both started to feel bad. You know, we started to get tired, you know, and, uh, but we knew we had this work we needed to get finished. And we finished it up on the, on the way home. We both commented, you know, God, how exhausted we were. And, you know, we, we weren't really feeling well and this and that. So we came home. And um, uh, that was a couple of days before the 23rd. And I, uh, and I told my wife, I said, well, she's go to the doctor, go to the doctor. And, and I said, well, if I don't feel good by Monday, I'll go to the doctor. <clears throat> so on March 23rd, I first went down and was able to get a same day appointment. I went and saw him and he says, oh, you have the flu. He, and I said, no, this doesn't feel like the flu. I said, can I get tested for this COVID? You don't have it. You remember back in 2020, they asked you those five or six questions. Have you traveled? Have you had contact? Blah, blah, blah. And they asked me that. And I said, no, 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 no. Oh, you don't have it. You don't have I it. I know this because I flu. had COVID too at that exact the time when you did. And my doctor said, no, your lungs are clear. You're fine. But yeah. and they didn't have testing. So there was a lot they didn't know yet. And she said, yeah, oh, tremendous. I was sick for six weeks with it. Uh, so yeah. yeah. But yeah, I understand. Yeah. And he said, well, he says, you got a little raspiness in your lungs. And he said, but you go home and rest. It's flu. You'll be fine. Come back in a week if you don't feel better. That was on the 23rd. On the 26th, I didn't feel better. Uh, and I was, I was very nauseous. And I had texted my daughter, Lisa, who's, who's a nurse, labor and delivery nurse, but she's a nurse. And um, I, that's what I told her I, why I sent her to school. So when I got old, I'd have somebody to, to diagnose and take care of me. Little did I know. Um, so she said, well, go to the doctor. And he, she gave me a name of a medicine to get, you know, for nausea. And I went back and I happened to see, I was able to get an appointment that day with our physician assistant. And he was new. And um, uh, he went in, did a very, very quick examination says, oh, you have the flu, go home and rest. And I said, this doesn't feel like the flu. You know, I've had the flu before. I, can I get tested? No, no, no. You got, my wife is home with the same thing. You got the flu, come back in a week if you don't feel better. If I would have followed his advice, I'd be dead. Um, because the 26th, would be two days later, three days later, um, Lisa was out of town. And there was a potential renter that wanted to see her house. So my wife said, well, I'll go up and I'll show them through the house. You stay home, you're sick. So my oldest daughter, Erin, stopped by to check on me. And she called Lisa and she said, dad doesn't look good. He, he really is gray and he does not look well. So Lisa said, well, get him to the emergency room as quick as you can. So she took me down here to our, our uh, hospital. And I remember walking in 
and looking at the lady behind the desk. And she, I said to her, I said, I'm sick, I need help. And my daughter went to park the car and she walked into the emergency room. You know, we both had masks on and the nurse said, uh, the, the security guard said, no, you can't come in. There's no visitors allowed. So she yelled over to me. She says, dad, she says, I'll wait in the car for you. Um, text me when you're done and I'll swing up and pick you up. And I said, okay, I love you. She's love you. We blow each other a kiss. Little did I know that that would be the last family member that I would see for six weeks. Um, they took me back into the isolation room and the doctors came in and said, well, we're going to admit you with bilateral pneumonia. Um, you know, she, he says, your lungs are bad. And my oxygenation rate, you know, the pulse ox oxygenation mm -hmm. rate um, is usually, you know, mid nineties to hundred percent. Mine was down to 81 yeah. at the hospital. And he said, you know, you're not getting any oxygen. Immediately put me on oxygen, you know, and started their IVs and things. Little did I know that I was admitted in critical condition at that time. And of course they tested me for COVID uh, and 24 hours later, um, I was moved into the ICU uh, with COVID, you know, I tested positive with COVID and bilateral pneumonia. Um, the next day, uh, they did a emergency intubation on me because uh, I had to go onto the ventilator. My pulse oxygen dropped down into the 70s and they had maxed out the oxygen flow. So they had, and I'm getting this now from my medical records because uh, I don't remember any of this. It, it's a review of my medical records that, um, you know, I'm able to come up with this information. And um, uh, within 24 hours of that, uh, I maxed out the ventilator. Uh, and uh, fortunately, the sister hospital to our local hospital is much larger in Pensacola, Florida. And they airlifted me uh, over to the big hospital uh, to, be, to, be, to be put onto an ECMO machine a heart-lung bypass machine um, and to give my lungs were so full of COVID, they were completely white. And um, to give my lungs a chance to heal and, and, and rest. Um, and the very next day, they, and that's a surgical procedure. They go through your right juggler, I think it is, and they put a tube down into your heart. And then the machine pulls the blood out, oxygenates it, pushes it back in and it acts as a heart-lung bypass machine. Within 24 hours of that, my kidneys failed. And I went on dialysis and looking at my records, they were discussing then a kidney, possible kidney transplant that I would need that. And they spoke of my demise in my medical records as well. And the family was, was briefed and, and told not to expect me to live. And both all of my family said, yeah, that actually Lisa, my youngest is a nurse, I said before, she actually knew uh, about my condition 24 hours before my family did because she couldn't come to the fact that she was going to lose her dad and she didn't know how to tell the rest of the members of the family. Uh, they gave me a 3% chance of living.
and uh, kidney failure, respiratory failure. So I was going to amend your organ failure. My heart enlarged uh, and, uh, uh, and my liver um, uh, mimic, and I think it's called PIC, DIC, DIC, mimic the DICs of blood clots. And I was throwing blood clots off. And so that was starting to go as well. Um, so they put me in a coma, obviously, and I was in a medically induced coma for 20 days. Uh, I spent six weeks in the hospital. And um, I went in on, on the 26th of May and came out on the 9th of or on March. I'm sorry, 26th of March and came out on the 9th of May. Missed the whole month of April. Slept through the whole darn month. Wow. Well, <laughs> and uh, so unbeknownst to me, um, my family uh, wasn't ready to lose me. And each girl took, had a mission. They sat down, I guess, I don't know how they did it, but they all sat down and said, okay, Erin, my oldest daughter, she said, okay, I'm gonna be in charge of prayers. And she goes, I'm gonna contact everybody I know to pray for dad. And Kate, my middle daughter, kind of took to social media and between the three of them, they developed um, a Facebook posting that went out that said, hey, my dad's a veteran, you know, he's a super guy. He's laying up in the hospital with COVID. Uh, and Lisa is uh, the nurse and she knew about convalescent plasma. And she was said, and she called some friends of hers that she went to school with up in Kentucky. And unbeknownst to her, her dad was an infectious disease doctor. And he says, get him this convalescent plasma, get it to him. So they called the hospital and said, look, I want my dad to receive convalescent plasma. And they said, no, we're not a research hospital and we're not a teaching hospital. He said, no, we're not, you know, we're not, we don't know enough about it. You know, it's being tested and, and we don't know en enough about to give it to him. Well, my kids don't take no for an answer. Um, they're like, they're all, they're like the dad, you know? So they put this Facebook post out saying that, you know, he's type A, we need somebody that had COVID that now tests negative and be a volunteer to donate their plasma so I could get the antibodies to fight this. And lo and behold, it went out to over 70,000 people. Wow. Um, you know, tracing it, you know, you can trace fit books and yeah. it was forwarded, went up to over 70. They had two pages of volunteers willing to fly to Florida to give me their plasma. And a few months ago, my daughter gave me a map of the United States, well, the United States of everybody that was praying for me. And there's only three states that she didn't have somebody praying on my behalf, Canada, England, Germany, uh, and Australia all were praying, had people praying for my, and I, and I'm still overwhelmed by that because I don't deserve, I didn't deserve, I uh, never did anything in my life that I deserve such love from people that I don't even know, you know, and I still feel that um, when, when, Push comes to shove, it's 
people are magnificent, you know? We always stand up, we put our differences aside. We always stand up to help someone that they don't know. They didn't know me. And they found a priest, a young priest in Pensacola of all places that matched perfectly. <clears throat> and um, he volunteered. So they, they called in our local area, we have one blood who is our blood donation center. And they called one blood and, and Lisa talked to him and said, our dad needs convalescent plasma. And they said, you're the first request that we've received. We don't have anybody trained. We don't know anything about it. But they didn't say no. They sent two people down to get trained to take this plasma. They took the young man and got his plasma. They flew the, the plasma 700 miles away to um, Tampa, I think it was, Tampa, Orlando, Florida, to get tested to be sure that it was a perfect match for my blood type. And it was. And they brought it back. And my daughter got the phone call that the plasma had been given to the hospital. And so she called the hospital and said, when do you plan to give this to my dad? He said, we're not. And they said, what do you mean you're not? Because when they said this before, and let me retract a little bit, they told my daughter, um, if you can find out how to get convalescent plasma, we'll consider giving it to him. Well, they found out how to do it, you know? And um, uh, now they're coming back saying, well, we're not gonna give it to him. And I have Zoom meetings where my whole family was sitting there talking to all the hospital administrators, you know, chief of this, chief of that, CEO of this. And um, they finally came down. This was Good Friday, April the 9th, I think it was, whatever Good Friday of 2020 was. They had a Zoom meeting and my daughter said to them, well, and they're saying, oh, he's getting better, you know? And she said, well, show me his x-rays. If he's getting better, show me his x-rays. They wouldn't do it. And um, uh, she said, you have two hours to make a decision. And she said, then we're going to get real serious here. You know, we're... well, she got a phone call that evening uh, on Good Friday from one of the technicians on the floor that said, we've got permission to give your dad the convalescent plasma. And... Uh, they gave it to me on Good Friday, 24 hours, Easter Saturday, they capped the ECMO machine. My lungs were completely clear and they were able, well, it's some residual, but mine clear enough that my own lungs could take over and they capped the ECMO machine. Within 48 hours of receiving convalescent plasma, my kidneys started to work again and they took me off dialysis. My liver returned to normal. My heart went down to normal size and was pumping adequately. So by the end of that week, they surgically removed ECMO and they started to wean me off the ventilator as well. So on Easter Sunday, you know, all of this yeah. is taking place and, um, there's a meeting there. There's some significance there. Uh, and they had to re-intubate me. The next week, I wanted to have some breathing difficulties. And they had to re-intubate me. 
but I was only re-intubated for like four or five days the second time uh, that they had to do it. And I, but my lungs cleared and they were able to, to uh, get me off the ventilator as well. And so that was, you know, late April. And then they allowed Lisa to come in um, at the beginning of May. And then she stayed with me until I left the hospital. Uh, when, and I didn't want let her leave, you know, she was, she was my, my strength for me while I was those last final, final week in the hospital. I had to learn to walk again, um, had to learn to swallow again. Uh, and, and went some real, you know, went through real struggles, but, um, now I'm perfect. I mean, my heart's good. I don't have no problems with my heart, lungs, liver, heart, uh, kidneys. They're all functioning perfectly. The only, um, issue is being intubated for so long. Um, I have a lagging vocal cord mm -hmm. so I can get hoarse real quickly. And, um, uh, my neurologist says my brain is fine. Um, there's, there's nothing indicating there is a problem. They call it um, a COVID, COVID brain, I think it is, or something mm -hmm. along that line, where people that have suffered it as much as I did with COVID, um, they lose their train of thought and they're not focusing as, as well. And that, that happens occasionally. But small things that I can live with uh, compared to what I was you know, confronted with. So my family was amazing. I mean, they battled to get me the uh, treatment yeah. that, that I needed and didn't take no for an answer uh, when, when, when they confronted that. Uh, but little did they know that while they were fighting for me, I wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't there. Uh, and I told my daughter that, I told Lisa that, when, I, when, when she came in and I was cognizant enough to tell her, I said, Lisa, I, I traveled. And she goes, what are you talking about, Dad? I said, Lisa, I said, and I didn't, at that time, I didn't know how to put it in perspective, yeah. you know? And I didn't have the words for it. And I didn't know what happened to me. So I told her, I said, well, I was in a big city, like maybe Paris or, or, or or London somewhere, you know? I said, but it was so clean and so beautiful. And Lisa said, well, dad, I wasn't Paris then, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, but when, and so when I came out and I started to understand what happened and um, started to read some books and I was suddenly, I was there, that happened to me. And I realized that I had three or four near-death experiences um, during that, 20 days that I was in that coma. Yeah. And I want to ask you, I know this is hard to explain because of the no time thing where, first of all, when you're in a coma, I'm, there's that from a five, from a 3d perspective. Um, and then there's also when you're looking back on your um, experiences that you had while you were, while you were in a coma, do you remember each of the, well, and you'll, you'll explain this, but each of them yeah. happening at different times, or do you just have a full collective memory of all these different sort of things happening? Yes. I have that collective it. memory. I don't have a timeline. Yeah. I don't, I cannot say, well, this one was first. Yep. This one was second, you know? Um, but I do know that I had dreams and I had hallucinations mm -hmm. 
and those are completely different. I'm so glad you just said that. It's completely yeah. different. I um, think that's important. Yeah. Um, my dreams involve my family, um, people that are alive and living, you know, and, um, uh, and they weren't as clear and clarity wise, you know, um, as my near death experiences were. My hallucinations were just stupid. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I would... woke yeah, I woke up one time and I remember opening my eyes and this terrible music was playing. And there were six dancing panda bears on the ceiling and they were dancing to this music. And I remember saying to myself, okay, you died, you're dead. Mm -hmm. But if I have to listen to that for eternity, <laughs> I must be in hell. Yeah. Well, I was just having this conversation today with my mom about how a lot of skeptics will say, well, if you, you're, it's just your brain chemicals. And I said, that's, that's, I can understand from a skeptic's point of view, you could write it off as that, but everyone I know who's had a near death experience, which we'll get into is, has said it is realer than real. It is realer mm. than this reality here. But also I said, if we were all going to have these collect these hallucinations, why are they all the same thing i mean it's different details but it's always this i mean it's generally yeah. not and not always the same but there's a general theme with all of them and the way and the way that it works why yeah. wouldn't i said why wouldn't we dream about just like pink elephants or why wouldn't we see different things so that's why right. yeah right. you can tell us what the difference is and what oh yeah my my i had one where my doctor my respiratory doctor um uh <laughs> I thought that right across the hallway from me was a birthing pool. And the ladies were going in there to give birth to this birthing pool. And I remember being so mad because my doctor, who I didn't know at the time, it was just a stranger that I saw, this strange man had my dogs over in that birthing pool. And why is he playing with my dogs over in that birthing pool? You know, and, and I saw all three of my dogs at the time, and they were all swimming and having fun with this guy over in the birthing pool, you know, um, hallucination. Yeah. You know, I was hallucinating. Um, I do know, and I'm still trying to figure one out, um, is that I had a complete conversation with a nurse that nobody can tell me who she was. Or the fact that she, I knew things about her, you know, um, right. I knew where she lived. I knew where she worked. I knew some things about her. And later when I got better, Lisa took me back to the hospital because I wanted to thank the nurses and everybody that cared for me. And I said, where is the older nurse? Um, she was here from Tampa. She lived in Tampa and she's been a nurse for 35 years. And um, her son, I think, was in the military or killed in the military. And they're all looking at me like I'm nuts, Yeah, you know. And I said, no, no, no. I said she had great white gray hair and um, she was such a peaceful, calming voice, you know, that every time she was with me, I knew that, you know, I was going to be okay for the day. 
she, my one favorite nurse, name's Mallory, God love her. Um, she would look at me and see, Mr. Randy, you had tubes down your throat. You couldn't talk to anybody. Right. And I said, I had this whole conversation with this lady, you know? Yeah. I don't know. You know, yeah. hallucination. I don't know. You know, or is it part of an angel, an angel? That's what. Yeah. 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 Or a, or it, a spirit that did work there at some point. You don't, you'll never. Yeah. Know. I have no clue. You so, know? yeah. What, when did the, and, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I was just going to say, and I can remember looking at her face and she didn't have any of the personal protective equipment on. Oh, right. You know, um, Mallory had this big black mask that she wore every day. And um, I knew when, when I heard Mallory's voice, and I'm in a coma, so how can I hear her voice? But um, when I heard her voice, I knew that it was going to be a good day for me, yeah. you know, because God love her, she's got the gift, you know, and she just knew how what to say and how to hold my hand and, you know, talk to me and, and being on ECMO requires two nurses 24 hours a day um, and taking care of you because there's constantly adjustments on the machine and medication and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but I knew when she was there, it was going to be a good 24 hours, you know, or 12 hours. But um, what I did experience near near death and i remember um my my soul my spirit my consciousness whatever term you want to put on it but i was in a dark tube at the time i didn't know what it was but i remember traveling not real fast but i traveled through traveling through this dark tube <clears throat> and I remember on the sides of the tube had little windows spaced sporadically down this tube. And because I remember I could turn and look out, out one of these windows and there was this magnificent light that engulfed this tube, you know, this tunnel that I was in. And you could feel, I could feel the warmth from this light, but the light did not penetrate the tunnel. You could see it, you could feel it, but it, but the tunnel was still dark. Um, and I thought that was very strange that I was moving through. And I said to myself, you're dead, you died, but where are you going? Where am I traveling to? And I suddenly found myself standing in this beautiful room. Sharon, it was the most gorgeous room I've ever been in in my life. And I, and I in my military career, I was in um, presidential security. And I've been to some fabulous looking embassies and banquet halls and this had them beat. I mean, this place was absolutely beautiful. It was all in gold with big archways. I remember at least three archways on each side of, of, of the hall that I was in. And they were outlined in, in a gold, opaque gold. And the room was just, what's the right word, uh, radiant, you know? Big chandeliers hung from the ceiling. 
and there were water water features in it and i was i was my spirit was on a mezzanine i don't recall having a body um but my spirit was on a mezzanine and i was looking out over this great hall and just taking in its beauty and the feeling such an incredible feeling of peace and I, like i said before i knew i was dead and one would think, well, if you feared your own death and went into such panic attacks, you know, why wasn't I there? Why? And, and but I never even felt it. I felt so loved and so at peace with myself. And I standing there taking all of this in, I felt somebody with me. I felt that there was somebody else standing next to me. Didn't say anything. Couldn't tell you what they looked like, but I felt their presence. Somebody was there. And, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm, as I was standing there, this gentleman walked up to me. And um, he had a human form. Um, I remember him having a dark, I think it was a dark robe that he had on. And he walked up to me and I commented to him about a, this beautiful, radiant room and how gorgeous it was. And he said to me, he says, yeah, this is, this is one of our most favorite, most popular places for people to come. And I can, oh, I can see why it's so gorgeous and beautiful. And he goes, oh, it's a magnificent room. He said, but you're not supposed to be here. And I kind of remember looking at him oddly and saying, what do you mean I'm not supposed to be here? He said, you have to leave. And he pointed me toward a set of wooden doors. And these were magnificent, tall, beautifully carved doors, wooden doors outlined in gold, um, bright light. It just some type of a bright light that was shining on these uh, doors. It was almost like they just stood out in front of you, you know? And I remember my spirit going over and through those doors and there's a few steps, and I remember kind of going down those steps, and I was in a beautiful city, absolutely gorgeous city, clean, I mean, very clean and, and, and um, immaculately kept, you know, and these tall golden buildings, opaque gold buildings that rose up into the sky, and beautiful um, streets no cars or buses or anything, but these beautiful streets that you could meander and walk down that were all opaque, almost like a pearl opaque color. I remember walking or moving past um, parks and, and, par and, and people were playing in the parks and it was just absolutely a brilliant green, a green that I've never, and I've been to the high, I've been up to the highlands of Scotland and Ireland, and, and you can't find any greener, most beautiful grass than they have there, but this surpassed it. It was just such a brilliant colors and big trees, all beautiful flowers on the trees. And, and I removed, I, I went past that and I was walking through these streets and I, find, I suddenly felt lost. I knew I was lost and I, I got scared. And I suddenly realized I didn't know my way back. And I said, well, how can I get back? How can I be found? 
who's going to find me? And I felt movement around me. I felt that there was people moving around me and I cried out for help, but I don't think I was allowed to see them. And they weren't allowed maybe to see me or even hear me. I don't know because they didn't stop and I couldn't figure out why they couldn't stop to help me and nobody was helping me. And I got scared and, and I remember I was tired and so exhausted that I sat down and almost like, a, it was like a curb. And I sat down on this curb, just so scared of, of I was lost and how I was going to get back, you know? And I remember sitting there and I looked over my shoulder and this beautiful white staircase rose up into the skies. And I said to myself, if I can get over to that staircase, and if I can get up that staircase, maybe somebody will find me. So I did. I crawled over. My spirit crawled over to the staircase. And I started to crawl, literally crawl up this staircase. Or at least it felt like I was crawling. And I have no idea how far I got or how high I got. But I remember suddenly hearing a voice. And it was a male voice, very authoritative in his tone. And he said to me, there he is, there's Randy, get him. And it was like somebody grabbed me by the back of my collar and whisked me off of that staircase. And I went back into my little dark sedated world. It, I went black and I was gone. And I was in that, I, I was in that, that city twice. Um, and again, I don't know sequential mm -hmm. on any of this. But I was back in that city. Um, I didn't go through a tube the second time. I, was, I remember my consciousness awakening in, in a different section of that city. And again, I walked around for a while and I got lost. But I knew where those steps were. And I said, if I can make my way back to those steps, I can be found. And I made my way back and the steps were there. And I started to go up the steps. And the same voice said the same thing. There he is. There's Randy. Get him. But this time I quickly turned around. And I remember seeing an older gentleman with a white beard and white hair and a white robe. He's the one that grabbed me off of those steps. Some say it was St. Peter the keeper of the gate, and I wasn't supposed to be there. Um, and he was protecting his gates. Um, and then some have asked me, well, if you were in heaven, why did God allow you to suffer? Why did he allow you to feel scared? Are you sure you weren't in hell? And I said, no, God had to let me do that. He had to, because I was lost. And I was like the lost sheep. I think it's Matthew, if I remember right in the Bible, um, that talks about the lost sheep and the shepherd finding that one sheep. And he was so happy that he found that one sheep and he brought it back to the flock. I was that lost sheep. And he had to let me realize that I was lost and scared. And, 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 and he wanted me to cry out that I needed to be found. Um, and I did. So he saved me. He, 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 he saved me that very day. That's not, beautiful. To, 
not deserving of it. I was just going to say that that's what came to my mind because I didn't interrupt you at that time, but I, I, I think that's such a human, that's such a common human emotion is I'm not deserving. I'm not worthy because we forget who we really are. And we need to be reminded that we are worthy just by virtue of being a soul that comes from God, that comes from God's source that we're all part of. We are love. So how can we not deserve love? But there's this pervasive human emotion of feeling not worthy and feeling like we aren't, you know, of course you're, of course you're worthy just by being, you don't have to accomplish anything to be worthy, but I'm assuming, and I know you'll go into it more that having this experience led you to understand that. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. Um, But when he whisked me off that staircase again, I went back into my little dark sedated darkness, my little dark sedated world, I called it, you know? Um, so that was twice. And again, I don't know when they happened or whatever, but that was, that's two of my NDs. And my third one is an interesting one. I was found my conscious walking down a path, beautiful pathway. And it was lined with those gorgeous flowers that I saw in the park and a beautiful trees lined this. And I remember, I, I, I remember saying to myself, you're dead. You, you, know, you have died and, and you have to accept this. But, and I kept saying, but where am I going? Where am I going? And this little animated boy comes running out of nowhere. And he was a short young man uh, what we used to call bowl haircut you know he had dark hair of a bowl haircut had a pair of shorts on olive skin no shirt or shoes you know and and his little shorts were like the three-quarter ones you know down past mm-hmm. the knee and he was all animated and he was saying to me follow me follow me follow me and and so I followed him and he took me down this this path and he took me into a building and he said, wait in this room. <clears throat> and I said, okay, you know, and it was a beautiful room. It had beautiful paintings and it had these high backed red chairs, you know, um, pedestal chairs in the room. But there was this big picture window. And I remember my spirit moving over to the picture window. And I looked out and the, there was a river that ran underneath the building. And that river, you could see it just meandered off into the distance. And it too was lined with those same beautiful trees and flowers and the fields of green grass. And it was just absolutely beautiful. And I felt so at peace and so calm and and just, you feel warmth and love standing there. And there was a few people in the river not swimming or splashing or anything, but they were sitting on the side talking and somewhere in the water talking and things, you know, and, uh, and, 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 and time is different in heaven because you don't know five minutes from five hours, you know, it's not a man-made thing in heaven, you know, time here is man-made and I'm standing there. This seemed to be a, a long time and this little boy comes back in. And he says to me, he says, I'm sorry, you have to leave. And I said, what do you mean? I don't want to leave. This is beautiful. I feel so loved. And 
And I, and I said, I know I died, but I, what do you mean I have to leave? And he looked at me and he said, your room isn't ready. Oh. You have to leave. And, you know, it, it, um, in the Bible, it talks about, um, you know, I will go prepare a room for you. Uh, and my father's house has many rooms. And, but my room wasn't ready. And and and, so, and and as soon as he said that, um, I was back into my little dark sedated world. Uh, you know, it just went black. As soon as he says you have to leave, and we had that conversation, it it just went black, and I was gone from that environment. Well, I'm I'm glad I have tissues in here. I mean, I feel so emotional. <laughs> um, wow, that's, that's so profound. Yeah. Yeah, um, my my fourth one is the, the one I'm about to tell you is the one that gave me, God gave me the physical evidence that I needed um, to prove that there's a heaven and there is life after death. Because, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't, I wanted to believe, I couldn't believe because I didn't have proof, you know? And God gave me that proof. Um, I remember in being in that tunnel and I suddenly found myself in this, what is what some have termed as a void. It was dark, but not completely black, almost like a very late dusk, you know, and you couldn't see real far. And I said to myself, where am I? Okay, uh, you died. You're dead. Where am I? And this spirit came up to me. Um, didn't say anything because, but he telepathically told me that I needed to follow him. <clears throat> so we started to move through this space. And Sharon, you've been to the theater, and you're sitting there in the audience, and the stage is black. Mm -hmm. And suddenly a light comes on and that light gets brighter and brighter and brighter and an actor is illuminated sitting on or standing on the stage. You've seen that before. Yeah. As we move through, orbs of light were passing us. You know, I could see the streaks of orbs of light um, and, and we kept moving through and suddenly this light off to my left hand side started to come on. And it started to get brighter and brighter and brighter. And suddenly, as clear as I'm looking at you right now, I saw my deceased mother-in-law sitting there. She was beautiful. She was in her mid-30s. Um, her hair was pulled up in a beautiful bun. And she had a beautiful white ribbon around her hair. And she had a white robe on, a beautiful white robe. And she was sitting there very regally. You know, I mean, this is a lady that always had correct posture and everything to be, anyway. But she was standing there and I just felt it was such a regal pose that she was standing there all straight, you know, and she had her, her uh, right arm extended out, you know, very proper. And she looked over at me and I started yelling, calling her name. Dolores, Dolores, it's Randy, Randy, I'm here, I'm here. But she wouldn't acknowledge me. 
She didn't acknowledge me at all. She just looked away. And my deceased brother-in-law uh, ran by very quickly, ran by um, teenage years, you know, and he was a bit of a hooligan uh, as a teenager and uh, he kept it up in heaven. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he didn't acknowledge me. He didn't acknowledge his mother, but I knew it was him. Uh, I saw him very quickly. I may have even called out his name, but my spirit guide told me that we needed to move on. And we moved deeper into this area. Now, something in heaven is that you can see 360 degrees. It's magnificent. So as, as we were getting deeper into this void area, back, way back off to my left, where my mother-in-law was, that light got dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and just disappeared. It turned off. And we were moving on and suddenly off to the distance, to my left-hand side again, off to the distance, this light started to come on. Another light started to come on. And right away, I screamed out, mom, dad. And it was my father, my mother, and my sister, all deceased many years ago. Did not see them as clear as what I saw my mother-in-law because they were kept at a distance from me. And they didn't acknowledge me either. They, my, I remember my father looking at me quickly and turning his back. And my mother and sister stood there for who knows how long, but a few seconds, moments more, and they turned. And they didn't want to acknowledge me. And I, I, I kept yelling and screaming at them. It's me. It's Randy. I'm here. You know, talk to me. And but I felt that there was some type of barrier between us, some type of an invisible barrier that wouldn't allow either my communications to get through or something. Um, I understand now that was the veil of, of death. And they, uh, I've been explained that um, they didn't acknowledge me because they didn't want me to pass through right. that veil. Yeah. So they wouldn't acknowledge my presence. But I remember screaming at them and, and trying to get their attention. And, and, and um, all along, my spirit guide kept saying, we have to move. We have to move. Suddenly, way off in the distance, way off on my right-hand side, I don't know what caught my attention to it, but this orb of light was approaching very, very quickly, very quickly. And he, and he came up from my right-hand side and he stopped, this orb stopped right in front of me. And he said to me very quickly, I, could, I just got a nanosecond glimpse of his face. And he said to me, tell Madison at the salon, her grandfather's okay. And he moved over to a white porch and on that white porch and, and telepathically, I knew he was a veteran. I felt it, that he was a veteran. And he moved on to this white porch as an orb of light, just an orb in human form. And he was sitting with another human form of light and they made red, white, and blue ribbons and American flags. They were making them. And suddenly my spirit guide tells me, 
you have to leave, you have to go. And I went back into my dark little sedated world. And I remember, I remember distinctly after that, the nurses trying to wake me up out of my coma. You know, rubbing my sternum and, and asking me questions. And I was confused and dazed. And I don't know how many days it took me to come, come out of it. Um, but I remember the next thing is my daughter, Lisa, was allowed. She was allowed in to see me. It had been six weeks. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And she comes in, of course, emotional, greeting. And she tells me, she says, Dad, you've been in a coma. You've been in a coma for four weeks. And I said, well, what day is it? She told me. And I said, what happened in April? I missed my, my, my middle daughter's birthday. And my dad's birthday and you know I missed my brother's birthday and because they're all in April and um, um, I couldn't understand what happened to me you know and I was coming out of this coma and I started to tell her then that that I had some things happen that I just wasn't real sure um, where I was or what happened to me you know and I didn't as I said before I didn't have the the um, the words to describe it, you know. So I was trying to describe to her what had happened in everyday language. You know, I was in a I was in a like an airplane tube. You know, I said I think it was an airplane, and using all these common English words, you know, to to, to explain to her where I was because I didn't know what happened to me. And I remember telling her, I said, Lisa, I said, somebody gave me a message. For some, by, to, to give to Madison. And I told her what the message was. I told her what I had been through, that I saw my deceased mother-in-law, her grandmother, and I saw, you know, they were, the girls were very close with, with my mother. And I saw the grandma, you know, and, and um, I saw her and my dad and my sister and all of that. And I, I said, this person came up in front of me and said, tell Madison. And she goes, well, who's Madison? And I said, I don't, I don't know who Madison is. And she goes, Dad, salon. I said, you don't use the word salon, you know? And I said, no, I, I don't. I said, but she goes, eh, you know, see, you know, I don't know, Dad, I don't what to tell you. And I said, I have a responsibility to try to find this girl. And I said, you know, this her grandfather gave me this message and I have a responsibility to try to, pass it to her, you know? Well, how are we gonna do that? And I said, I, uh, I don't have a clue, you know? So I finally got out of the hospital because I, ha I had to learn to walk again. And um, I was in a wheelchair, kind of a wheelchair and walker, you know, I could use the walker for a little bit, but then I would get really tired and I went back to the wheelchair. And I remember being home and I was looking, I don't know what drew me to my dresser, but something drew me over to my dresser and I started rummaging through my dresser looking for God knows what. I don't know to this day what I was looking for. <clears throat> but I came across a business card 
to a local barbershop in town. And I know I'd been there before, you know, and because um, I knew where it was. So I wheeled myself out to the living room and my Lisa, as I said before, my nurse daughter, uh, she had was living up in Mississippi at the time, but when I got sick, she moved home to take care of me. And um, um, she's there. And I said, Lisa, I said, um, could you please call them and see what they're doing for, for haircuts? You know, I've been in the hospital. I did get my haircut. So I go back into my room and uh, she comes back in. And she started questioning me, Dad, where did you get this card? And I said, well, I found it in my dresser over there. No, I meant, where did you get it? I said, I don't know where I got it. I guess I picked it up at the barbershop. How long have you had it? I said, Lisa, I don't know. I said, I said I'm the interrogator in the family. What? I'm, you're interrogating me, you know? What? Get to the point. And, and she says, Dad, she goes, I think we found your Madison. And I said, well, what are you talking about? And she handed me the card and she goes, look at the card, dad. And on the card was written Madison Logan on the card. I said, get me an appointment with Madison. So she did. And my wife said, no, you, you take him, you know, you take him. And, and I haven't said enough about my incredible wife through all of this. She was the glue that kept the family together. She kept all the girls focused she kept the house running you know the household running on that she's just absolutely marvelous lady that i've married and um so lisa takes me down because of course i wasn't driving yet and um um we had to wait outside but i guess they felt sorry for the old man and the walker because they came out and the, the manager said you come inside and sit down you know so lisa and i are sitting there and, and i said she said, so which one's Madison? And I said, I don't know. I, uh, I said, I recognize all of them. I said, but I don't know anyone in particular. And few minutes, few minutes, few minutes later, this nice young lady walks up and she goes, hi, I'm Madison. You know, come on back. I'm ready for you. So she's sitting there and she, she said, how would you like your hair cut? You know, going through the whole stuff. She starts to cut my hair and Lisa told her what I had been through with COVID and, and she goes, oh my gosh, because I'm so sorry to hear all that. So I said, Madison, I said, do you mind if I ask you some personal questions? And she goes, no, 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 what, go right ahead. And later my wife gave me the Dickens. She says, you asked this poor girl all these questions <laughs> while you're cutting hair. I said, yeah, that's me, you know? And um, I said, Madison, I said, are both of your grandfathers still alive? And, and she says, no, she says, the one grandfather I was the closest with passed away less than a year ago. She said, next month will be one year. And she goes, he's the one that, you know, I was closest with. I said, oh, I said, did he live locally here in, in Florida? And she goes, oh, no, she says, he's, his whole life he lived in Iowa. And she said, um, I'm only down here. She says, my husband is a doctor of physical therapy here in town. And she goes, we're only down here for him. He's just out of college. He got a, his first job down here. And she said, we're just down here, you know, with, with him. And I said, oh, she said, I lived my whole life in Iowa, going to school there and everything. And I said, oh, um, and I said, he, was he a veteran? 
And she goes, yeah, she said, um, I think she said, she, she said, I think he was in the army and um, maybe served in Vietnam because he used to talk about Vietnam a lot. So I felt I had the right girl. You know, something told me that I had to write Madison. So I said, well, Madison, I said, I think your grandfather came to me and he has a message for you. And she looked at me like I was, I had a third eye, you know, and she, what, what you are did. you talking? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, Madison, I said, this spirit approached me and he has a message that he wanted to give to you. And I said, he said, and I told her exactly what he said, tell Madison at the salon, her grandfather's okay. And she looked at me and she's crying. I'm crying. Lisa's crying. The other people in the barbershop are saying, don't go to that hairdresser because she'll make you cry, <laughs> you know? And, um, and, and uh, I said, Madison, I said, he moved over to a white porch. Is that somehow significant to you? And she said, that would have been his house in Iowa. She said he had a white porch and loved sitting on the white porch. And he said, after he retired, he'd sit out there every day and, and maybe work on the computer or just talk to the people. He loved his porch. And I said, Madison, I said, he started to make red, white, and blue ribbons and flags. Does that fit in somehow? Shannon, she looked like me. She looked at me like I was crazy. I mean, she took a step back. Her eyes were as big as saucers. And she goes, every Veterans Day, my whole family went down to the American Legion where he was a member. And we made red, white, and blue ribbons and flags for the veterans' graves. I have such chills about this. I did not know her. That's incredible. I did not know her family. I didn't know anything about any of this. So God gave me my physical evidence. Yeah. You know? Yes. He knew that I needed that for my peace. You know? That's so interesting because it's, oh, it's the synchronicity of it all blows my mind um, where you were meant to get that message for her, but also for yourself to take back into yes. the 3D world so that you could have proof that it really happened to you. That's yes. what's so, oh, I just get chills about it. Um, because in fact, I love the way that works, how uh, I always say like spirit is kind of like Santa Claus where they can be in all these places at once. Yeah. The other yeah. day, a friend of mine posted this video uh, story on Instagram where it was a picture of the clouds and it, the clouds spelled out the word joy and he wrote find the joy but the joy was capitalized and I said that's crazy because this is a message from my friend Kenny who's watching this right now because he watches all the episodes he's a wonderful human being and I had given him a reading and his wife came through and uh -huh. she he had asked um, at the end of the reading he had, he had asked me what's her spirit name and I said I can't I don't want to stop and think about it or I'll get in my head. So we'll just put it aside. And at the very end of the reading, she came through and I heard her voice saying, darling, enjoy, find the joy. And oh, I no. said, and, I, and he said, her spirit name that we came up with was joy. And 
we both just sat there stunned the way they communicate where that was the reading, but then cut to my friend posting this photo. And I said, that's to share with the world because it's gorgeous, but it's also, I know that I meant to send that picture to Kenny for him to also to have a second hello from heaven, just because sure. it was exactly the way it was written out and the way that it said joy in the clouds. I said, that's, I said to my friend, wow. that's actually for Kenny. I, you posted that, but it's, I know who I need to send it to. And yeah. that's how it yeah. all comes to be. Yeah. They, they know how to, how to give messages. Of, yeah. It's, un, it, I, it's, it's uncanny to me. It's amazing. Know. And yeah. in fact, it happened um, just, uh, I had posted a story where I used a particular song and this woman I know through voiceover wrote to me and said, I keep, I think she said, I've had that song in my head all day, or I have seen it. And I said, well, I don't know what your beliefs are, but I'm going to tell you if you've had that song in your head all day and you just saw it again, when I posted it, is there someone in spirit who would be trying to get a message to you um, who would, who you would recognize as being someone that this song would be relevant to. And right, she said, the Oh song. my yeah. God. Yes. And it was, and then I said, and I can see that it's a young man. And then we talked about how I posted that just because it felt fitting, but she yeah. was meant to see it, to reach yeah. out. And then I gave her a reading just by Facebook messenger. Wow. That was very relevant about her brother trying to reach her. How yeah. does the spirit world do that? Well, yeah, I know it's all knowing. It's, yeah. That's right. Connected. And being all present. Yeah. And all present. He knew. And his name is John, by the way. And I'll I'll tell you the story, finish that up for you. Yeah. But John knew somehow yeah. he had been present when in you... that barbershop on a day that I was there. Um, and when he realized I was in heaven, he was beating feet to me. Yeah. To get that message back. Oh, yeah. That's so that's I so talked amazing. to his wife, Kathy. Because uh, uh, Madison got a hold of him. Obviously, we're good friends now. And she's actually returned to Iowa. Her and her husband returned to Iowa. They were down here for four years. And they just went back to Iowa. And he's opened his own um, clinic in, in there. Um, but anyway, after this happened, she, she called me. And she said, my grandmother wants to talk to you. Will you talk to my grandmother? I said, I'd love to talk to your grandmother. Uh, and she's a beautiful lady. And um, we talked for a long time and she told me his name was John and that he was in the army and that he did serve in Vietnam, fought in a lot of battles and everything. And um, she says, she said, now you said that you got a glimpse of his face. She said, what did you see? And I said, well, I saw a young man with a very slender face, dark hair, uh, and a mustache. She goes, let me send you a picture. And I said, okay. And she sent me that picture. I called her back. And I said, Kath, that's who I saw. I said, I only saw it for a second. But I'm telling you, that's who I saw. And she said to me, let me tell you, let me tell you a story. And I said, sure. this is the second time that he has sent me a message. And I said, really? I said, what happened the first time? And she said, right after he died, she was going through some of his stuff and she found a business card. And on the back of the business card was a name and a phone number. And the front of it was from an insurance company. 
So she dialed the phone number on the back <clears throat> and a young man answered. And she said, um, you know, is so-and-so here, whoever the name was? And she goes, no, ma'am. She said, is this X, Y, and Z insurance? He goes, no. He says, this is a private residence. And she goes, oh, she goes, I'm sorry. She said, I found this card and it had this name and phone number on it. And he said, well, what phone number did you call? So she told him and he says, ma'am, he says, you dialed the wrong area code. And she goes, oh, I'm sorry. She says, where am I calling? She says, you're calling California. She goes, California. And he goes, yeah. He goes, where are you calling from? And she goes, well, I'm calling from Iowa. And he goes, wait a second. Your name's Kathy and you're calling from Iowa. And she goes, yeah. She says, let me tell you a story. He said about four or five months ago, he said, I was in a very bad motorcycle accident. And he goes, the paramedics told me when they scraped me off the asphalt, I was dead. And he goes, but the only thing I could hear was somebody screaming at me, tell Kathy from Iowa, John is okay. John is goes, getting good at this. Yes. And he kept <laughs> repeating it. Tell John from Iowa. And he goes, I would scream back at him. I don't know anybody in Iowa. And he kept saying, tell Kathy from Iowa, John is okay. This is the best stuff. This is why I do this. This is incredible. Isn't it amazing? It's Twice. Amazing. And through a business. But look at the connections. The business card again. Yes, again. Yeah. He, wow. That's a, that's a. He's big. a little pesky spirit. Yeah. Yeah, John That's is a pesky amazing. guy. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you find that since this has all happened, I know it hasn't even been that long, which is the amazing thing. You're one of the, a lot of people have had their experiences years and years ago. Do you find now that you're able to, um, do you, how, how do I say, do you find yourself interacting with spirit on a more regular basis now, or do you try to, or does it come to you or does it not happen at all? Now, I told you, I'm at my daughter's house and Lisa's standing out into the kitchen and she doesn't know what I'm about to tell you. Ah. So her eyeballs are probably going to pop out of her head. Um, and I just, uh, there's a lady up in Connecticut that I, when I have a question or, or don't understand what's happening to me, uh, she's kind of been a mentor to help me get through all of this. And I called her just today, matter of fact, and I told her what's starting to happen uh, and I said, I don't understand it. And, um, but because I said, I'm not sure if I'm having a dream or what I said, because I am not, I used to not be able to be a very good visualizer. I couldn't mm -hmm. visualize something in my head. And lately I'm seeing faces uh, appear. Um, and they're trying to communicate, but I don't know if they're telling me, I, I know like in one case, this lady appeared and she goes, I'm here to represent, I can't remember his name, who has died, who is dead. And I remember saying, I, I don't know him. I don't know him. And that was the end of it. And then another time, um, a lady's face appeared and she said, I, I, I'm, I'm dead. I'm dead. Um, and I said, who are you? Who are you? And she disappeared. So 
and I was going to ask you because you're you're much more knowledgeable in in this as well. Um, what's happening? Yeah, um, and I this, and I actually was telling you before we started recording that the minute I started talking to you, and it's the first time it's really happened. Um, I started to feel so much spiritual energy here and, um, and I'd love to, we should, you know, once we should actually set up a time to see if there's st more, more to delve into. Um, I'd love to, I would yeah. love to do that, but I definitely felt, I mean, I know this because I know about your story, but I also like physically felt the sensations that you're also a medium, whether you like mm -hmm. it or not. And obviously mm -hmm. you've done your first task or you've, you've passed on that message, but there is just it didn't feel like just, and I don't typically read spirit guides and that sort of thing. I, I immediately looked at you and was like, mother, like, you know, I felt your mother present, but I also um, felt there's something so much bigger around you, which I've talked to near-death experiencers all the time and they're very tuned in and they're very connected, but it felt, I will tell you, I did a reading last night and I just, the, the person sitting across from me, she was trying to read me first. It was a practice session. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't even focus because her dad was like, like the feeling of his presence was so strong that uh, I started to say, I, I, you're, there's a father here that really wants to say something. And she's like, well, I'm not getting much. So why don't you just go? And it was like, yeah, there he was. So I know when that feeling comes in, I kind of have to settle into it to start to tap in. But I, when I was talking to you, I just, this whole entire time I have felt so emotional and I'm, I was literally, as you were speaking, going, why am I feeling like sobbing? And I don't, I was literally like, you know, listening to you and thinking, why am I feeling like this? There's so much emotion, not just because I'm an empath and seeing you cry made me cry. It's also just something bigger. And it does definitely feel like, hello, sir, you've been anointed. Like, it's kind of like, mm -hmm. and I think it is a matter of just sort of learning to harness that. And what is that? And you're seeing visions, right? And yeah, you're getting messages, yeah. but it's- They're very clear. They're Yeah, and if you're, you're a stronger medium than I am naturally, where I have to do all this meditating and stuff, but there are people out there that just see it. Now, you may not know what to do with it yet. And that's yeah. kind of the, the path is deep. And you My don't first, have to do it, but- Yeah, I don't know if it will come around. Now, the lady I talked to today said, it's practice, you know? Yep. And, that, and, and it's practice and making them feel comfortable. I don't know if they're telling me things and I'm not remembering it or what I, I feel think like. You're, I would guess that your, um, this, the communication, it's telepathy. And you've had experience of true telepathy mm -hmm. on the other side where you knew exactly what they were saying because you were somehow on their same vibration at that time. But when spirit communicates, it is so subtle it is so subtle that that's why someone asked me, well, why do we need mediums? I said, you don't. However, reading yourself is very difficult because you have your own biases. What mediums know how to do is I've studied personally to learn to translate the, the way that spirit communicates. And you learn by practicing reading people. And when they say, yes, that resonates, you, you, you know how that felt in your body. Like I know when I get the little tingles, they're saying, yes, you're on the right path. Keep going there. Your signs might be different, but without practice, you won't know. Um, like last night when I was reading this, this sweet woman, um, I said, 
okay, I'm seeing painting a fence, a white picket fence. And I said, I've never gotten that sign before. But to me, that feels like he's saying you're going to move and you're going to find a house. She said, that's what I'm doing. Well, I now know just from that experience that when I see someone painting a fence white, that -hmm. means someone is moving into a new house. And so it's building up your own spirit dictionary. Um, So those people are trying to get your attention and you're like, I acknowledge you, but now what? Um, And it's hard when there's no sitter there to validate for you to test it out and say, do you have a mother in spirit is someone yeah, named Carol yeah. or and yeah. for the person to feed back yes I do know someone named Carol then you go all right what's the next thought that's coming in what's the next what am I hearing sensing feeling in my body and visualizing in my mind and putting that all together it becomes like you're playing a game of charades um, you know I'll have them show me symbols and say you're going to need to help me so on your own I think that's why it is a little bit difficult for you to figure out. But the other thing I will say is all you have to do is ask and say, Hey, spirit guides, if this is the work I'm meant to be doing, please show me the way, because I don't know what to do with this. And it will, you'll start to see. That's exactly what she told me today as well. And she said, a journal, keep a journal and write things down uh, and questions, you know, about all of it. And you don't even have to speak out loud, but I do because I'm a human. I feel more powerful when I speak aloud that I can feel I'm being heard and connecting with them. And I always say things like um, spirit guides who help me in mediumship, please help me receive messages clearly. Please help me to translate clearly. Help me with names. Help me with. And so it's really about asking to those spirits, setting your intention and saying, I am open to any spirit who is of God's white light, who would like to give a message of love. Um, And you can even, today I had a reading with Jenny Marie of TLC's Moms of Medium. And she said that she, she says, uh, I don't want to hear anything about something that the person can't change or anything negative. We don't want to say, oh, you're going to die in five days. I mean, that's not helpful. So we, I think intention is everything. Intention of, asking for exactly clearly what you need help with and they show you somehow it's amazing and they'll, like they'll line things up where suddenly you'll meet someone who's yeah the perfect mentor or the you know and yeah. suddenly you're like because it's happening to me this is how i know that as i'm opening up i'm getting more and more synchronicities and connections and i'm getting better and better a year ago i could i didn't know what i was doing but well, that's how I am now. Yeah. So you're having a re you're actually having a rebirth. You definitely weren't meant to die. You were meant to come here and do this work from your beautiful heart and also to continue to learn what I'm going to start to oh, cry yeah. again. Of no, what a beautiful person you are and how deserving of you. love you are. Oh, uh, I, I, I've grown so much um, yeah. in so many ways since this 2020. Um, spiritually have grown. Uh, I think I, I'm a better human being before because of it. Um, um, hopefully I'm a better father um, because of it, you know, better friend. Um, and I've grown in so many different ways that I didn't even ex- expect. I didn't expect to be doing this. Yeah. I would have never have done this, you know. Um, I, I taught school. I taught yeah. school. I mean, I taught at the, at the collegiate level. Um, you know, forensic science. And, um, you know, so I'm always good at 
explaining things and 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 that type. So there's that ability, I guess, to explain is giving me a reason and and validated my experience so I can tell and pass my journey along and the information along um, to others. And I think that's why he allowed me to come back. I agree. He knew I, I had that ability to do exactly what I'm doing. You know? I agree completely. And I think that's yeah. all part of your path. We are writing a book. I was just going to say that yeah. I hope you're writing a book because I we think- We are writing have... a book. Um, I've asked each one of my girls and my wife to write a chapter. Oh, what, for their, um, from their perspective? About their perspective. Beautiful. Um, Aaron, Aaron talked about, you know, her emotion of losing me and, and her whole pray, prayer chain. And she included a few prayers that she- had you know was using and Kate wrote her feelings and and how she contacted and worked with you know social media and one blood and and um, my, uh, my wife did the same thing about how she kind of was the glue that held the three of them together and whenever they needed like Lisa primarily you know because my wife obviously was my medical I forget what they call that but she had the rights to talk to me mm -hmm. or talk on my behalf you know so there are certain things that Lisa had to get her okay for, and she had to explain to Donna, you know, what all that meant. So, you know, she was their interface. My my wife is uh, it comes from an Italian background, so she cooked. You know, she yeah. loves. She sat and made the dinner and and kept the family on, in line and. Which must know. have been so and, difficult and thinking oh, yeah. she might lose and, you. Oh yeah, and you know, and I can't tell you they were perfect. I mean, there was arguments, there was fights, and you know, I was told, you know, they didn't all get along perfectly you know it's a stressful um, situation sure but you know, the yeah. stress that the whole family was under we tell that the, we're going to lose their father to this terrible disease you know and um i can i can understand all of it um yeah you know that they the emotion that they went through is that they didn't deserve it Right. You know, no one does. It's terrible. No, they didn't. But anyway, I've asked each, each one of them to take a, a chapter, and then it's a little bit about my life growing up, oh, great. and and how some of my beliefs were formed, and my experience in the Air Force and as a criminal investigator. And uh, you I'm know, excited and, to read this book when it's no pressure. <laughs> take your time with it, but I've there's a lot in there that I'm really interested in. Oh, yeah, it included a few things, you know, just to validate myself and you know, the different techniques that I was able to develop to help solve a case, um, you know, um, and then it goes into my near-death experiences and my learning and stuff. So um, it's kind of a little back and forth with some editing right now. And uh, hopefully, you know, we can get it wrapped up and, um, and get it out shortly. I look forward to that. And then I just want to ask you, I'm sure there are a million things, but if you could, like, what do you really want people to know what what do you feel is sort of the most important thing that you'd like people to understand after having had such a profound yep. experience um like me i think well now i know i know that a lot of people struggle um thinking about their own demise i for for years i thought i was the only one and I kept questioning myself uh, that as well. Why, why 
don't others feel this way? Am I the only person that feels this way? Um, and my dealing with my own death, the peace that I've gotten from it, and being able to validate my experience through Madison, um, I want them to understand that there is hope, there, there is love, and there is life after death. Um, I was there. I experienced it. I saw it. Um, you know, I saw others. Um, they may not have identified themselves to me, but I saw them, the people in the water and the orbs, you know, coming past me. And, uh, you know, so I've been there and uh, I didn't expect, I, I would have loved to gone deeper um, into, I do believe there's different realms yeah. of heaven. And, um, um, but my message is one of peace, hope and love. Um, but I do believe that there's different realms. Like a lot of people talk about a life review that they've got. I wasn't allowed to go that far mm -hmm. to have that life review as some others have, um, because technically I didn't die. Right. You were you in know, a coma. Technically I didn't die. I was as close as they could come. Yep. And the doctors even told me that I was sitting on that razor. And I could have gone either way very, very easily. And I asked the doctor on one of the days I was getting discharged, you know, I said, Doc, what, what saved me? And he said, I don't know. He says, you're a miracle. We know. Yeah. We and know what, said, yeah. I said, was it the convalescent plasma? And he said, I don't know. Was it the ECMO? And I do believe ECMO gave me time. Mm -hmm gave my body time, you know, it, uh, to, to, but what healed me. And I mean, I've had three or four doctors said, you're just a miracle. These, yeah. we can't answer it. We don't have answers for you. We don't well, know. Yeah. It's like Anita Morjani who had full body cancer and she went to the other side and came back and she's cancer free now. And, yeah, and that's it. just, she yeah. healed because her, she had more work to do and that was her lesson that she needed to learn and yeah. it's interesting too that you say while you were in a coma you're not technically dead but they say too i've heard a lot of people say that uh when you're say you have dementia that you often are one half of your soul is on the other side and half of it is here and i think that's sort of what being in a coma can be like dr eben alexander too was in a coma and had these experiences and i don't know what the hierarchy is or whatever but i think that I start to put all the pieces together and have to assume that that is your soul was on the other side, but it was also oh, yeah. still here at yeah. the same time. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you were allowed to see it and visit with it and be part of it, but not go all the way like that, all that symbolism, right. the, the staircase and you're not ready yet. And the room's not ready. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Because, and it makes sense. They just yeah. wanted you to know so that you could come back and share. Yeah, a lot of that golden room too. Some have told me that they believe that was a hall of records. Ah, oh, yeah. Where all the records are kept, you know? And even Revelations talks about the city of gold, the new Jerusalem, the city of gold um, that I never knew before. Yeah. You know, trust me, I didn't know anything about the yeah. Bible. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't, know. but it's all symbolism that people have come back and said oh look up john look up matthew look up revelations look it up matched and it matched you know yeah, that's um, incredible and and, and i i know there's more so i just 
you know, but I'm young. I'm, I'm not physically, but I'm young at, with, at this NDEs. And like you said before, a lot of people experienced them many, many years ago, and they've had 20 or 30 years to figure this out and to research. And, you know, I don't have that time. You know, I'll be 70 here this year, and I don't have that time to to mess around. I got to right. get it going. Yeah, <laughs> I, exactly. Well, I look forward to. Thank you so much. Following it's been you. A pleasure. And, yeah, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for lending your time, your energy, your loving messages. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much.